1: Starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders.
2: So hello, Insider Nation. Woo! As you know, our mission here on Insider Sales Enablement is to give you the information you need to be successful in your role. Having in the, been in the space for a long time, we've identified where big gaps are in resources for you, and we're bringing them to you. Uh, as part of this process we have started doing a variety of uh, covid response activities one of them is we had a five part series leveraging the insights from dr howard dover kunal mehta who's a principal at private equity firm tcv and then lindsay gore a top sales executive at microsoft and her role was to keep us all honest <laughs> so that was a great uh, that was a great series and coming from that we had a very interesting conversation about what private equity firms are seeing in their frustrations with sales and marketing in general, and then really what the role of sales enablement is. That, of course, caused Brian and I get to get concerned or curious about what the state of sales enablement is, and we launched a study. Uh, the study uh, has a, a variety of different parts. The first part was doing a survey. So, we conducted a survey. Our goal was to get 25 responses because our survey was very Q&A oriented, uh, open-ended text. We wanted to get the words from you of what you're seeing in your own words, rather than having you react to what we think the, the words that you should be reacting to. We wanted to get 24 films completed, forms completed in a week. So of course, we set the goal at 50. And what did you do, Insider Nation? What did you do? Well, you got a 70 responses uh, in one week. Today, we have over 100 responses, and that wasn't an easy survey if you took it. And if you're listening, you're probably one of the people who did. So that creates a high-quality problem. The high-quality problem with so much of that information is, how the heck are we going to analyze it? And I'll tell you, there's a, being a former research director, one of the things that you want to look for is where you put bias in. And when you have uh, when you have data, one of the things to look out for is where is the researcher or the analyst bias coming in? And I didn't want to do that. So I reached out to people who are experts in their fields and asked them for their input. So we've gotten uh, a great response uh, from from members of of our panelists that we'll talk about here, but great response from over 25 uh, people who are participating in our guest analyst program. That includes the CEO of Seismic and the CEO of Saleshood. If you know Eli, it includes SBI is, uh, you know Sales Benchmark Index is, is, is helping us out and giving us an input. We're getting feedback from a variety of different sources that maybe you wouldn't think would, would, would provide it. And it's amazing how our community is coming together. In order, all of this is leading up to, if you can go to our website, insidese.com and log in. You can register for our findings meeting that's gonna be on May 19th. Do I know what the findings are gonna be yet? No, we're still, <laughs> we're still analyzing. So I'm feeling a little bit nervous about that. But I think if you guys hype it more and make it a more pressure point, it'll be better quality for all of us. So having said that, we're in this stage now where we're doing panels and we're bringing some of the interviewees together and we're looking for common trends in these conversations. Last week, we had we released our panel with um, sales and name one experts, if you know Tamara Shank, Mike Kunkel, and Josie Mashburn. That was a fantastic one, and I'm delighted, just super excited for, for this one right here. Now, a little bit of a qualifier. One of the things that I've learned as a researcher is when you do interviews, you want to make sure that you don't share your opinions. And these three... Individuals will say I had more color in the email to to send out to them. These three individuals, because they're so skilled at sales, pulled me into the conversation and got me monologuing about what I think too. So I'm going to work really, really, really hard to make sure I don't put too much of my finger on the scale. But I'm publishing out that these guys are super expert at what they do. They have conversations for a living and teach other people how to have valuable conversations. So this is going to be a trump of wills. Am I a better researcher or are they better conversationalists? We'll see. (laughs) So the competition is afoot. Now, what I'd love to do right now is we're going to introduce our panel. So just to remind everybody of our format, uh, I'm going to go through an introductions part. Then we have three sections of conversations to go through. And then Brian is going to take over and wrap up and summarize where we found agreement on. So to start off with, Skip Miller, Skip is the person that I know the most. So Skip has his own sales training and productivity consultancy, and he's had it for many, many years. I'll let him tell you who, who it is and what they do. But what was interesting is, how did I meet Skip? So Skip and I met each other when um, he was hired at Forrester while we were building the sales enablement practice to basically provide sales enablement training to our sales force. So that's a tough spot to be into when you've got published research and we don't really do any things that Skip did. And then he's got his own point of view. And then there's a lot of questions. Well, should we be listening to Skip? And you know, why, what about our research? And it was really great because immediately we aligned on some key points and there was really no problem at all. So that's one of those things where I don't know whether it's more credible for me or more, more credible for him or we're both equally insane. Whatever the case is, that's how I met Skip, and I'm super delighted to to work on this because I've been trying to find a way to work with Skip ever since, and this is, this was a, a good way to get started. So, Skip, would you like to introduce yourself to our to Insider Nation?
3: I'm happy to, and and it, it was a pleasure to work at Forrester. We we there was record growth and record opportunities there. They were hiring a bunch of great people, and and the organization had some great leaders. So it was it was kind of fun to slip in there and work with you as you were developing that that system enablement, you know, sales enablement and stuff. So, I mean, that was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. You know, we still both keep in contact with a number of people from back there. And so yeah, we do this for a living. I live on the West Coast, so I live in California. So a lot of SaaS companies we do business with, you know, people, you know, small startups like Tableau and Zoom and Ring Central and stuff all the way up to, to big companies like, you know, Google and stuff. But we try to do small and medium-sized companies and get them when they're at that point where they're, too big to be small, but not big enough to be big and and try to get them over that, that, that hundred million dollar hump. So that's what we do. And we have a good time doing it.
2: Awesome. So uh, introducing our next panelist is Bob Apollo. Bob Apollo has a, also a sales consulting improvement or organization called inflection point. And I got to tell you the first time I saw that name, I always loved that. Maybe it's because I've got a little bit of an engineer in me and I just love that concept. Uh, but Bob I've known about for a long time. I've seen him post and every time he posts on LinkedIn, it it shocks me a bit because it's like, man, he's saying it in the exact same language that I'd say it. How does he know the same language that he said I've got? So I was always curious, but I never really had a chance to 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 engage with him. So finally we got we got this and I was like, "Hmm, maybe this is my opportunity to reach out with Bob." And we had our uh we had our interview and it was just so delightful uh to just be so aligned and not even know each other and have different backgrounds. That was, I, I was really engaged and uh, enlightened by that. And I think that that's something about the power of uh, social media and how you can build connections if you listen and pay attention to people. So with that, uh, Bob, uh, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to Insider Nation?
4: Sure. And uh, very much appreciate the insight, uh, the, in, the invite. Thank you, Scott. Um, Uh, I equally have followed you for some time. Uh, You know, I think you have a a reputation uh, uh, for being the godfather or one of the godfathers of the uh, sales enablement movement, although it's always been a bit of a puzzle to me as to whether that refers to parental or mafia practice anyway.
2: um, I think I like the mafia part because that's cooler.
4: (laughs) There we go. So uh, I also run uh, sales effectiveness consultancy. Uh, it's B2B focused. It, uh, I think our sweet spot is typically scale-ups, you know, uh, post-startup, pre-corporate, who are trying to build something repeatable and truly scalable. And uh, yeah, I chose the name Inflection Point because there is probably a bit of a engineer in me because uh, if I look back at the work we do, it's probably as much focused on Uh, creating systems as it is developing skills. Of course, they're both important, but systems that guide best practice rather than impose a rigid and inflexible process.
2: Excellent. So then our last one, and the person that I know the least, is Steve Crapo. So here's how I got to know Steve. I can't remember what the post was, or what it, what, it, what it was about. I don't even remember the topic, but I posted something and Steve blasted me. <laughs> he just blasted me. And I love people who have strong opinions and can back it up. So I engaged him. And he wasn't, uh, the other thing that I love are people who have the, the, the power of a convention to back up if they're going to blast somebody to tell them why. I think that's all you can ask for today. And frankly, I take that as a sign of respect, not as something that's a, that's a jerk. So I love that kind, of, uh, that kind of dialogue. And it turns out we actually agree. There's <laughs> just some hot words, I guess, or hot terms that, uh, that we disagree with or, or had different ways of saying the same thing. So obviously, I thought this was a great opportunity to highlight how diverse of opinions that we're looking to bring in. And frankly, I have no idea what Steve's gonna say on this, and that's another thing I'm excited about. So Steve, take it away, G- introduce, uh, introduce yourself, and who you are. Sounds great. Uh, Brian and Scott,
5: first and foremost, thanks for the invitation to participate in this panel. Uh, let me echo the sentiments of Skip and Bob. Super excited uh, to, to kind of debate and, and brainstorm here with, with this elite panel. And perhaps I'm the Simon Cowell of the panel, um, I, I don't know that I blasted you, Scott. I would refer to it as an animated, healthy debate. And uh, you earned a tremendous amount of respect because you defended with great conviction and with facts your perspective and opinion. And I think that's why we've gotten along fabulously for the last four years. But it did start off in, under rather auspicious uh, beginnings. I will admit to that. So well, that's I, I'm fun, Steve. though, right? Isn't that <laughs> it, fun? I think it was, it's great. It's, by the way, just, just, just for the record, since this is going to go out to millions and millions, maybe tens of millions of people... Um, I, I never subscribe to the theory of disagreeing with someone or trolling uh, publicly. It's always I'll challenge a thought in a private exchange. That's the only way I do that. So if you remember, it was through LinkedIn Messenger. I think yes. we melted. I think we melted down LinkedIn Messenger that Friday night. So, yes. in short, I'm Steve Crapo. I've been in technology sales, to the enterprise for 30 plus years as a sales leader, leading sales teams, selling technology solutions. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called True Sales Results. We're a management consultancy. We focus exclusively, much like Bob and Skip, we have very similar uh, ideal customer profiles based on what, what they heard, fast-growing B2B sales organizations that are looking for ways to improve their performance. So we work with our customers and help help them learn how to engage, influence, and sell more effectively to their customers.
2: Thank you, Steve. So we're now into, our, into the body of our show. So we have three questions, and they're segments. So se- the first segment question is: Having looked at the survey findings, were a few things that stood out for you? And I'm going to ask Skip to answer this question first.
3: Interesting. the 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 nature of the survey, and and having a market research background, I spent years working at DataQuest and Gartner. Um, it was it was interesting on the subjectivity part of it because I'm used to, you know, zero to zero to ten or A B, you know, really being more objective. So reading through the subjective part was, was quite interesting and for me, um, actually seeing um, what people had to say, not just, you know, ranges, was was, was really, really interesting to see, especially the, the stock market question and the um, you, know, you ask sales enablement people, if it's on a rise, if it's on a hold or it's on a decline, the, the different the variables of that. So that was interesting.
2: Excellent. What did you take away from that?
3: That life is a bell curve and the top performing sales enablement organizations are doing really well. Most are in the middle trying to figure it out. And there's some that suck.
2: Gotcha. There we go. <laughs> okay, Bob, how about you? Having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you?
4: Yeah, very interesting. I think one of the questions that struck me straight away was the sort of variety of responses to the question if sales enablement were to write a letter to shareholders describing how you performed and what you're going to do next year, what would you say? And there was a tremendous, I think, range of different responses, including some who simply responded, that's a tough question. (laughs) <laughs> but you know i think it's a question that needs to be answered um i think when i look across the questions generally and the responses you know we heard about this idea of being somewhat of a bell curve um i think at least parts of the community uh are not yet performing um as they and others would wish um uh, i think there's sort of elements of immaturity, maybe even schizophrenia in the, in the community, um, almost implying that you know, they're still on a bit of a quest for a purpose and, and yearning for respect. And that certainly fits in with some of the observations I've made of uh, members of the community. There is this bell curve, but many of them are still, I, I think, struggling to earn the respect that they, they wish they had.
2: Steve, how about you? What are the highlights of what you took away from looking at the survey findings?
5: So a few things that stood out to me was the coalescence in in the freeform comment response around why sales enablement is on the rise. There there seemed to be a strong consensus that sales is complex and hard and only getting harder, which dictates the need for more effective sales enablement. Um, But what I found interesting is if you compare and contrast the freeform comments around why sales enablement is on the decline... Um, for the most part, those responses are quite diverse and all over the map. Um, I was surprised that not uh, one person said that a target, their target customer should be an investor if sales enablement was a business. Um, I was really surprised that only one person replied that the product function was a competitor to sales enablement because in my experience uh, – often product marketing and or the product management group meddles and interferes with sales enablement frequently. And there's, there's this in- inherent power struggle over who, who kind of owns enablement field enablement. And uh, un- unfortunately all too often the sales enablement group loses and uh, kind of is relegated to a, a kind of a, a junior role. I loved the shareholder question. Absolutely loved it. Uh, it. It seemed that a lot of people really struggled with that question. There were, there number of individuals said, I don't understand this question. I would have to like, write a dissertation, so can I catch up with you later, Scott, on it? Um, and, <laughs> but it didn't surprise me, because in my experience, sales enablement, quite frankly, tends to struggle with developing a clear and compelling strategy for the business in the first place. And that results in them committing what I refer to as random acts of enablement. I think a lot of us do. And really being viewed as a tactical, not a strategic function. Um, I would say in closing, my favorite response was a pro, was the reply to what question should we have asked, which was the last question. And the single response that really stood out to me was, this question was a shitty interview question. Now, that was my favorite response for two que- for two reasons. One, the person actually went on to answer with a question they would have liked to see asked that wasn't. So they contradicted themselves. And the second reason that I, I loved that response is I asked that exact question at the end of every discovery conversation I have. <laughs> so I, so at least there, there's one dissenter out there in the audience. The, 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 those, those are kind of my key takeaways, Scott.
2: Awesome. You, you can't resist but look for the outliers, right, Steve?
5: Look, gotta love the outliers, those
3: rebels.
2: Awesome. So with that, so Skip, I'll go back to you. What did you take away from hearing your peers? Interesting.
3: So the sales enablement folks, right, in, in my world, being a former VP of sales and stuff and so on, that what they're supposed to do is enable. And you got in Silicon Valley, anywhere from 10 to 60% cost of goods sold regarding sales. I mean, the sales teams are expensive and low performing ones perform poorly and high performing ones perform very well. And enablement's supposed to enable that resource to maximize its return. I mean, you look at companies like Zoom who just are on fire and the, the product's a good product. You know, and Eric's done a good job there. But that sales team is just on fire. So we you know what are sales enablement people doing to not let it themselves get beat down by marketing or, or product marketing? These are people who are supposed to enable that asset to the company to grow farther and not just look at technology to do it. So you know that it's it's leadership, it's it's organization, it's technology. You know, so I took away that these people are thirsty. They're they're looking for for ways to to get better at what they're doing. And that's why I think you got such a great response for on your your survey.
2: Interesting insights. Uh, Bob, what were your reactions to your peers?
4: Yeah, so uh, just picking up the sort of discussion about uh, their role and responsibilities, I I do think um, the sort of clue is in the name that what sales enablement is in the business of doing is to enable um, the sales process. And I, I, I think that sometimes there's an overemphasis on the technology aspect of it. And there's no doubt that technology can facilitate sales enablement and not quite enough on the whole process of what does best practice look like? Um, and to a point that we've discussed in previous conversations, um, actually reaching out to you know the salespeople who are performing well to try and work out what it is that they've managed to master and help repeat and replicate it.
2: Gotcha, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have a question for all of you guys after this uh, to, to get sort of a theme. Steve, what did you hear from your, your peers under this under this question? What'd you take away from Bob and Skip?
5: Well, I, I think we, had, we, we, we took away very similar insights. We may have used slightly different words to describe kind of what the key takeaways and, and what we found interesting. In, in, the, uh, in the in the responses, but but I think you know at, at a fifty thousand foot level, it's clear. I know sales enablement is in its nascency. You know there's 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 this huge opportunity. To position themselves as strategic leaders, get a seat at the C suite table, uh, but that's got to be done through execution, and and and, and they're struggling, and, and you see it with all of these sales enablement forums where so much time is spent on you know how do you define sales enablement. And, you know, in terms of the conviction and, and the strategic value that you're bringing to your organization, you should know that. You shouldn't be defensive about it. There should be no groveling. You know, stand up and lead. And, and I, I really think this is a tremendous opportunity right now to do that.
3: So it, I'm going to jump in, Scott, real quickly and yeah. echo what Steve and Bob just said. You know, the latest data that I've seen says, you know, if you're not prospecting like crazy for your third quarter, your third quarter funnel is going to be down the tube. So, everybody, so all the numbers I'm prospecting are up. People are starting to prospect. They don't like it. They call it outbounding and the response rates are down. So where's enablement to sit back and take those numbers and sit back and say, okay, guys, it looks like sales knows they got to fill their funnel, but how they're going about it, their pitching product or their emails suck, or they're giving one email every other week and going, I'm prospecting, you know, where's enablement to kind of help that whole function? I mean, these are perfect times for enablement to step up to the plate and work their way as steve just said to the c-suite but i mean get get a a hold of the problems because i think it limits the the ones who can see the forest from the trees here
2: yeah so i think there's a theme here that i want to get you guys to react to i think it's pretty easy for all of us to understand where we're coming from because i think in general salespeople speak in terms of relating to past experiences right having been on the hot seat you know what it's like to get yelled at by your customer or having to You know, having to balance the million things that you got to do today while also making sure you hit the annual number. But there's not a lot of really great vocabulary for that. So when we try to articulate, hey, here's what I need to get help, whether it be enabled or whatever you want to call it, the people who don't have that empathy, try to zoom in and put a box around it and say, okay, Skip, I get what you're talking about. You want me to train people to do this thing. Or Steve, I get it. You want me to give you this kind of product brochure, but only have three bullet points on it. Or Bob, I get it. I'm going to produce a really rigid, scored carded sales, sales methodology. But because these things don't weave into how people work, they become almost random acts upon themselves. Is that fair? Is that what I'm hearing from you guys? Well,
3: I hate to interrupt again, but I'm interested in ablement doing the pre-work taking all the data and saying, okay, here's the trends that we see for the second quarter, and the results probably should be three bullet points or this, that, or the other. Let's all talk about it. But they've got to do some of the upfront work to find out you know, where they should plant the flag rather than just sit back and be reactive.
4: So it seems to me there's a very important role uh, to identify the patterns, the underlying patterns. Exactly What's right. What's working? What isn't? So
2: give me more on that, um, Bob. What is a pattern? Like, how would we make a pattern tangible? to people who don't know what patterns to look for in the first place?
4: Well, uh, you know, I think one of the things that it's really useful to focus on in identifying patterns is to, and i try and make a, a, a straightforward distinction between activities and outcomes. I think there has been a habit, certainly on the marketing side, not sure it's quite as embedded in sales enablement to measure success in terms of uh, activity levels but uh, particularly in today's climate, it's incredibly important that we think in terms of outcomes. So what do I mean by an outcome? Well, of course, the ultimate outcome is getting an order from the customer that results in revenue. But there's a bunch of incremental outcomes on that journey that either represent the sales funnel and the pipeline moving forward or going round in circles. The, the sort of patterns i'm particularly interested in are what are the things and who's doing it that have the effect of achieving better outcomes rather than going round in you know in circles and and if we understand that if we seek it out how can we just find a way of kind of bottling it up and making it easy for everybody to do mm-hmm. the same thing
2: got it thank you there's something that you said there about activities versus outcomes. And then Steve, I'll get back to you in a second. Skip. One of the things that we talked about in our interview is if the sales leadership is, um, maybe overly focused on the quarter, maybe the, that myopic lens sales enablement needs to be skating out ahead, a few quarters ahead. um, it isn't confronting this uh, this difference between being activity driven versus outcome driven a key success factor for a sales enablement function?
3: Results equals frequencies and competencies. So doing a lot of good things or a less of bad things equals results, or as or you know, Bob put it, outcomes or revenues. So right now, you know, everybody's so focused on making the second quarter in the sales world. I mean, that's their job. You know, the third quarter pipelines, third quarter funnels, we think are 20, 30 percent down. So what are they doing now to do better in that area is a, is a great question. Sales leaders have got to make the quarter. And yeah, they should be looking at the third, fourth quarter. But is, but sales enablement is trying to find, it to back to Bob's point, right? You know, what patterns are out there? What What trends are out there that I can actually make sure we're working on now? So when the third quarter comes, we're not all saying surprise.
4: And, you know, to give a couple of examples, you know, let's say the organization had the discipline to create ideal customer profiles, almost certainly those ideal customer profiles will have changed in the light of current Mm -hmm. events. Um,
3: Bob, Bob, to your point, we think sales cycles are being cut in half because right now, everyone's getting to the C-suite, which we call above the line, below the line, but everybody's getting to the above the line buyer. I listened to a call the other day, and the the, 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 the CEO goes, this is great. And the salesperson goes, super, so let's do a POC. I'm sitting there going, what are you doing? So their typical buyers, the below the line buyers, are waiting to hear what decisions the the above the line buyers, the C-suite's making, and if we have access to the C-suite, we have to blow up the pattern of past sales cycles and come up with the new norm, because the new norm is going to sit back and shoot the old norm in the foot.
5: If you think about uh, the fact that sales enablement, really uh, a, paramount, a paramount part of their charter is to help the sellers understand the customers at a deeper level. And, you know, I don't have to recite the data in terms of how many stakeholders are involved in a complex B2B solution uh, decision, evaluation and technology decision, but you know, it's gone up to 10.6, etc. cetera. Um, most sellers have experience working closely with a handful of stakeholders. That's their comfort zone. So all these new parties are being brought to the table. They all have their own agendas, uh, their own agendas, their own priorities, their own individual and, and, and kind of functional uh, requirements. So it, what a sales enablement really should be doing is focusing on providing frameworks and insights into what makes the customers tick. All these different stakeholders so you can tailor your discovery questions. You can do better discovery, which leads to better sales strategy, yeah. which leads to better conversion rates and shorter sales cycles. So if you really understand your customer, because it's all about. You think about enterprise selling, you know, selling large ticket technology items to large, Fortune One Thousand companies. It's all around establishing trust, and and this the seller that's going to win that opportunity is the seller that wins the trust of that group of stakeholders and ultimately earns access to power through the C-suite. And the way that you earn trust and establish credibility faster than your competitors is truly demonstrating to the customer two things. Number one, you understand their world much at a much more deeper level than the competitors do that are just selling products and features. Uh, secondly, you're bringing commercial insights to the, to the table. And Bob talked about it. I love the whole, you know, great salespeople sell business outcomes, Right, they don't sell features. They don't sell products. Mm-hmm. Those are those. They don't sell services. Those are things that go on a statement of work and in a contract. Once you've agreed on the solution to the customer's problem, that delivers that commercial insight that they didn't know about that they're striving for. And that's that's what we're sales label. If you really focus on arming your sellers with that knowledge, that depth around the customers, you're going to have a lot more successful customer conversations that are taking place today.
2: Excellent. I'm going We're going to move on to our next. Segment so that we have, uh, we actually get through all this because I think we can see that there's a lot of pent up, uh, uh, insight that our experts want to share. But we need to get, uh, we need to get through this, and I think we're probably going to invite these guys back for another one if, the, if they'll have us. So, the next question, and I'm going to ask you it first, Bob. The next question is, What was your favorite question in the survey, and why? The favorite question, well,
4: um. It's a simple one, actually, because I think it speaks volumes. And that was the one. So who is the customer of sales enablement? And I think it was instructive. There were a whole variety of uh, of answers in that. And that's almost basic, isn't it? You know, if we perform a function, if we've got a task, an objective, who is our customer for it? Uh, And I think there was better clarity about that. I suspect some of the other issues that we've been discussing
2: would be resolved. So you're, you're hitting on, um, I I, I love that. I have a saying sales is simple. Simple is hard. A lot of people overlook the fundamentals, I think is is what you're saying. And if we were to be more clear on our fundamentals, maybe a lot of things would sort themselves out.
4: And focus on getting the basic things, right. Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps be more tactical than strategic, than we might have aspirations to be strategic. But let's earn our earn our corn by really doing the tactical operational performance improvement stuff well. Excellent. How about you,
5: Steve? So I, I, I actually, I think I cheated and, and, and kind of pre-answered this in the prior question, but um, I love the letter to the shareholder question. When I first started selling... 300 years ago, um, coming out of the cave, we were we were selling to the enterprise, and literally we sold the Fortune 1000, and I had to buy one share of stock in each company that was in my territory, my sales territory. They were all Fortune 1000 ca- uh, t- uh, companies, and I had to read the annual report and look for uh, strategic initiatives, but I always started with the, the shareholders, uh, the shareholders are the shareholders. And you know it's usually very concise, but it lays out the strategy. This is what we're going to be focused on. And smart sellers to this day look at the the chairman's letter, to the shareholder, and 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 see it. You know where is their strategic initiative that we can genuinely align to and support and do it, help them do it better and differently than alternative approaches to this. So what I what I I just I love open-ended survey questions because reading the individual responses. It always provo- you glean insights that you simply will not glean from a multiple choice question answer that's laid out in the percentages so what it what it kind of reinforced and validated to me is that looking at the answers is that the sales enablement function again struggles with strategy and as a result gets gets stuck in a tactical kind of reactive mode and, and obviously that's never good um, one of my favorite quotes is from Sun Tzu in his writings captured The Art of War. I just, I love this. If you'll indulge me, the quote goes as follows. You know, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And I, I mean, it's profound, but simple. And really what I love about this quote is to be successful as a sales enablement leader or, and as an ex-VP of sales, you, you have to have a good strategy, and and execute the proper tactics to implement that strategy. So you need a balance of good, effective strategy with effective tactics and execution. And that's when you get sales success.
2: Awesome. Great, uh, great insight, Steve. How about you, Skip? What was your favorite question and why? Well, I think
3: both Bob and Steve said really good stuff there. I mean, tactics without strategy is kind of silly and, and you definitely want to know who your customer is. Outside of the, you know, do you think we're on decline, on hold, or, or an increase? I mean, if, if a sales and a professional doesn't know who their customer is or, or can't really sit back and define who their customer is, uh, all their work's going to go for not. I mean, who's your customer and really get a good definition and clarity around that from all parts of the organization is square one. So, I mean, I, I was, I first, when I thought, saw the question, thought it was a stupid question. And then you look at the, the responses and you're like, wow, these people are really torn 17 different ways from, from Sunday. So it, it, it shows where a lot of chaos and confusion is. Yeah,
2: so uh, I didn't get, which was the stupid question, Skip? <laughs> the one you thought of, I'm sure, no. The, well, all, I, of, all of my <laughs> questions were stupid, obviously, Skip. I, I thought the, Which I in thought particular these, was more dumb.
3: <laughs> I thought it was, who is your customer? Because you're uh, sitting there going, that's an obvious answer. But then you sit there and look at all the answers going, geez, I mean, you got to have some leadership and direction here. Let's go. So that was the one that was crying out for the most help, which was was interesting.
2: So one of the things that I, I, I took away, so all of you guys um, are big advocates of being both strategic and tactical, but it's making sure you pick a few tactics that match to your strategy. Is that Do we agree with that?
4: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. 100%.
4: As my old mentor at HP used to say, do a few things well, but you've got to do the right things well.
2: Yep. And that's always
4: the trick, figuring out which is the right thing. That's it.
2: <laughs> so what's interesting is um, my experience over 10 years of trying to advocate for strategy is met with a lot of hostility by sales enablement professionals saying, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. So how would you, how would you basically the, the point is maybe skip being in the role of a head of sales is very frustrated with something. Uh, skip talks to me as a sales and a want professional in a animated frustrated state, like all of us in sales have done before. And then I think that's the, I as the sales and a want professional think these are the 10 commandments coming right from <laughs> right from skip. And if I don't do these things right now, I'm going to get fired. Um, so I'm just in this uh, tactical storm. So therefore, I can't even. I'm not allowed to to be strategic. Is is more the the, the zone that I get. Do you guys get those uh, get that feeling or or understand this 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 gap between being too tactical versus too strategic? And let's let's breathe some color into that because I think this is a critical problem. Universally, all of you guys say we need to be strategic and pick the right tactics. Yet the overwhelming majority of sales and anyone people in the, in the community reject strategy.
4: Yeah. And I think what ends up happening is they sort of apply elastoplast when a surgical procedure is actually required um, and get stuck in that loop.
5: I've been on both sides of the table in that exact uncomfortable conversation you're referring to Scott, where I've, I've been the VP of sales and then I've been a sales name, consultant trying to help the sales enablement function trying to help that. Chief revenue officer, improve selling performance. And I think the key to, to, to that blended strategy and tactics that we're talking about, I think there's complete alignment amongst all of us, is that this is where there's an opportunity for a, a strong sales development leader to shine. And by that I mean they manage up well. Yeah. So, you know, the, the VP of sales is frustrated because they're getting slammed by the CEO and the board because they didn't make the numbers, not enough reps are getting quota. Uh, it's taking too long to ramp up new reps. You know, we, we we know all the pain points. We we know the levers that VPs of sales are constantly frustrated and, and thinking about how can we do better, how can we materially move the sales needle to the right. And so what I see a strong sales enablement leader capable of doing is managing up. In other words, kind of talking down the chief revenue officer with confidence and calming them down in terms of look, let's 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 pick one strategic thing per quarter that we're going to work on, and let's start with what we think will improve sales performance the most. Is that discovery and discernment? Uh, as, as Skip said, with the COVID-19, maybe we need to have an all-hands-on-deck, short-term strategy around how we're we going to create pipeline because we've got a big gap there, right? So so pick one thing per quarter. and If you think about it, think about the, the anachronistic sales kickoff meeting where we get everybody together in a central location, you know, Vegas. Etc. That that may have come to a, a crashing halt. <laughs> we may be doing Zoom sales kickoffs for the rest of our respective sales crews But think about a sales kickoff. How much money these companies are, are investing? And what, what I see happen all the time that that's a mistake is they they try to throw they try to train on everything the product the, you know everybody gets and what happens is there's just way too much data thrown at the sellers you know, everything blurs, they don't remember a thing. Instead of saying, what's the one thing we want them to learn for this year that's going to help us sell better and more effectively than we have ever? And so I I think it's that focus and and kind of managing up where strong sales enablement leaders are masterful and intuitive at kind of letting the VP of sales kind of believe that that was his or her strategy at the end of the day, not, not me telling you what you
4: should do. Uh, I tell you, having observed a few really good leaders in similar positions, that is such a fundamentally important quality, that ability to to, to manage up. And, and I think if I think about then communicating down or across to the sales organization just to pick up on something there, it, you know, our role is to simplify the salespeople's lives, not to overwhelm them. Again, it comes back to doing the few right things well with the support of the management.
3: And to you you both said it, right? To what outcome? So in the fourth yeah. quarter, what's the outcome the team needs? You know, don't don't work on tech you know, every year my, we, we go on a vacation. And we're really gonna go hiking or go bicycling or we're gonna go do something. So I don't know if I should train on the bike, if I should train, you know, walking hills and mountains. I mean Let's figure out what the outcome you want is. Then I know how to train. It's, it, unless you guys, the sales and the sales leaders agree on what's the outcome we want, not just make the revenue. What are the things that are going to cause us to make the revenue based upon all this new stuff that's happening? Less access to power, no more face-to-face calls. You can't really prospect at conferences anymore. With all these new things, what's the outcome we want? Then I can figure out tactics. Yeah. Uh,
4: by the way, outcome plus a real awareness of what the obstacles are that stand in the way of that outcome.
3: And we're, we're still learning those because three months ago, two months ago, you are still making face-to-face calls and flying yeah. all over the globe. So, you know, quick, quick actions to, you know, I, I just said it the other day, I said, you know, make a decision. You know, if you're 80% right, take the 20% you're not right, get 80% on that, but just don't sit around and say, let's make a decision on that. Like next week, you can't wait for next week.
2: This is great. This could be a whole nother podcast in upon itself. Uh, one, <laughs> our, last, our last question. Uh, actually, I throw something out there. Uh, there's this term that I've used, um, co-created with uh, some of my clients. And I wanted to see if you guys react to it. It's a, a discipline called straticution. You have to be both. You can't be just a strategy hat and you can't just be an execution hat. Is that corny or does that work for you guys? Or does that help describe what we talked about? What do you think?
3: Corny, corny.
2: Skip says corny. Uh, uh,
5: uh, corny. Candidly, corny. candidly, it's corny, but I'll, I'll accept it because it does work with what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's true. <laughs> so, in, in lieu of a better, a better uh, phrase, uh, I'm okay with it. He <laughs> already
3: yeah, kind of, gave me a black and white. Just said corny or not? You, you <laughs> elaborated, Steve. So thank you. Thank you. You're most welcome. <laughs> Sorry, Bob.
4: Yeah, I mean, it does what it, it it's it says what it does. You know, doesn't it? Um, and it is corny.
2: And,
5: uh, <laughs> oh, come on with a new one, Scott.
2: I guess, I guess my threshold for corniness is way higher than y'all's. Uh, we'll, we'll move on and Scott's going to reflect on that. He's going to have a couple of drinks tonight, look in the mirror and go, geez, what have I done with me?" <laughs> okay. Last question. And this is the doozy. And uh, Steve, you get to answer it first. What do you see as the future of sales enablement from here?
5: Okay. I'm gonna use a dreaded a dreaded term. I, I'm extremely bullish on the opportunity for the future of sales enablement to aspire to and actually achieve that C-suite strategic level uh, perception within the business. Now, it's the opportunity. So what does sales enablement in my not so humble opinion need to do to, to take advantage of this opportunity? Um, I go back to some of the wonderful research from CSO Insights that I've been following. I, I, since you know, I, I know one of the co-founders quite well, Barry Trailer. Uh, he actually trained me on solution selling training. I won't give the year because Barry will be mad at me if he listens to this podcast. But I've been participating in all their studies. I, I think they're the platinum standards. I, Tamara was great last week. But but what I would say is, you know, when you looked at the global B two B sales talent study that CSO Insights did, the, the thing that just struck me square in the eyes as a longtime sales leader, you know, sales enablement consultant is only 16% of the leaders surveyed were confident that they had the talent on their existing sales team to be successful and make their numbers. This was pre-COVID-19, only 16%. So that means 84% of the sales leaders out there don't believe they have the sales talent to be successful and put up the numbers that they're tasked with producing as a chief revenue officer or VP of sales. So, So what I suggest to you is, Unfortunately, there's going to be a glut of sales talent and sales leadership talent, the likes of which I will have never seen in my 30-plus year career. I I really view this as kind of a a once-in-a-career tsunami. The question that I challenge sales leaders and sales enablement leaders is, are you going to exploit this opportunity with this glut of talent that will be available looking for new opportunities and be strategic, you know, reveal yourself as being strategic, by retooling and upgrading your existing sales team so that when that question is asked from you next year, you say we're 86% confident that we have the right sales talent on board to be successful. So, so that's my long-winded, over caffeinated answer, but it's something that I'm very passionate about because you know you have a certain percentage of sales leaders and sales enablement leaders, unfortunately, that have that bunker mentality because of what's happening out there right now and they're 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 paralyzed, you know, it's it's freeze everything, do nothing. Well, the strategic leaders are going to see this as a once in a career opportunity and they're going to, they are going to—they know there's going to be great, they can upgrade their sales leadership, they can upgrade their sales reps, and they can invest in their sales middle class uh, with, with, with better sales enablement content and training so they can sell more effectively. That's my over-caffeinated spiel.
2: Gotcha. So I'm going to, and I'm going to do this for all of you guys because I want you to be able to just say what's on your gut instinct and then I'll replay back what I heard and give us a headline. What I heard from Steve is I see a tremendous opportunity to modernize our approach to talent. That the way that we've done it in the past needs modernization for, you know, for lack of a better word. And we need to rethink how we go about doing it. Whoever can come up with that uh, combination of strategies and tactics to be able to do it is going to position companies uh, or their their cu- customers or their their clients uh, into a part where they can be comp- have competitive differentiation.
5: That was articulated better than and more eloquently than I did, but that's exactly that's exactly what I was trying to state.
2: Yep. Well, that's that's my job. You guys give me the insight and I just spit it back out. That's all I do. Um, mm-hmm. That's my value add in life. Okay. Perfect. So the next person who gets to give us their view of the crystal ball. Skip, dust off your crystal ball here, plop it out here, and tell us what you see. What do you see the future sales in A1 from here?
3: To echo Steve, right? I, I know Barry mm-hmm. and Jim and love the CSO Insight stuff and so on. Um, if I'm only happy with 15, 16, whatever percent of my sales team, what do you do? Fire the 84%? You're an idiot. I mean, you didn't train them well. If you've got that big beat bell curve of people that you didn't organize, you didn't give them the marching orders, you didn't train them, you didn't put them on a mission, you didn't teach them listening skills and 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 you know sales cycle control skills, then then you know shoot the sales leader. You know the sales and implement people should sit back and say the bell curve is our job to flatten out so that we can get more people that we feel confident can do the right thing. Do you have a sales process? Does everybody follow it? Or is it just a wall chart? I mean, the sales enablement, you know, you just can't sit back and say, I got 60% natural sellers and the rest are terrible. You know, what's the organization doing? And I think sales enablement takes the lead on that. and says, listen, guys, listen, you know, you're not gonna do onboarding in three days. Okay, that's not gonna happen. So, I mean, we gotta, it's gonna be a battle between the two to make sure that the outcomes for the business is we've got 86% of the people right. So. Sales and Ailment's got to take the, the short-term and the long-term lead here, not just, you I know, mean, because if I ran across a sales leader who said, I only have 60% of my sales people that are any good, I'd fire the sales leader. The Ailment people should be that little, you know, canary on the on the shoulder, but also the voice of, of where we got want to go as well. So that's where I think it's going. Gotcha. At, at a grid, not just by, oh, here's the latest, coolest technology to give us data we can feed Salesforce. And then we don't know what to do with it because that's only looking in the rear view mirror anyway.
2: All right. So let me try to put words in your mouth, spit out what doesn't fit. Okay, Skip. So according the world according to Skip is that the future of sales enablement is to be analytical and productivity driven. Uh, the, the business value that they offer to the sales leaders is managing that bell-shaped curve. Uh, the manufacturer, uh, the ongoing manufacturer of more productive talent in order to drive um, um, sales outcomes.
3: It, sales is such a huge expense to the business line. Somebody's got to maximize it. You. you just keep, keep throwing money away. So, yes, exactly right, Scott.
2: Awesome. Okay. So, the last one you're our anchor man, <laughs> our man from across the pond. Bob Apollo, close us out here, bring out your crystal ball and tell us what you see as the future of sales enablement.
4: Well, I want to build on what we've just heard because if it is true and it seems to be true that many organizations have something of a sort of 80-20 balance between really competent performers and the rest, I think one of sales enablement's greatest contributions could be to work out how to move the middle. I think in most sales organizations, to pick up the bell curve uh, point, there's a a small percentage, 10, 20 percent, who are outstanding salespeople. I actually believe it's not just raw talent. I think some of those top performers, at least from my experience, are simply good learners. They work out what works and do more of it. They work out what doesn't work and do less of it. And I think sales enablement have got a terrific opportunity to engage in understanding what the replicable uh, positive behaviors of the top performers are and find ways of progressively introducing the middle, the mass middle of the sales organization to tactics, strategies, knowledge, uh, you know, enablement that will allow that middle of the organization to move towards the right of the bell curve but it requires a genuine curiosity into understanding so what is it that makes the top performers tick where are the things that are replicable as opposed to just raw talent
3: and how can you take your a players and make them a plus too i mean that's a huge gem gem in the diamond field too
4: well, I, actually, I think if you do work out those patterns, there does seem to be an effect that the A players can get even better because yep. some of what you're doing is to eliminate the obstacles that are, you know, they've managed to work around. But if you could take those obstacles away completely, they'd be even better. Uh, can I first just, just respond to that? I, I concur 1,000%
5: with what you just said. I call it investing in the sales middle class, and that is where you can materially move yep. the sales needle to the right, the fastest, and the most profound. There, there's some studies out there, uh, again, around complex B2B sales, and they, they said good coaching, good training uh, for the top 15% of your performers. you'll only improve the performance by about – because they're already great at what they do. To, to your point, they're naturally curious. They're what I call perpetual students of the game. They're great yep. learners, right? And, and they never uh, satiate that thirst and quest for, for more knowledge about how to sell more effectively and obviously how to maximize their commissions. That's what makes them great. Great coaching, great training. If anything, we're going to try to kind of capture their tribal knowledge and propagate that and share yep. that with, with the – with the, but the bottom 15%, interestingly enough, of your sales performers, great training, good coaching, only moves the needle somewhere between 3 to 5%. That's yep. a personnel issue, right? But here's this beautiful thing called that middle 60%, right? And if you think of the sheer numbers, the quota involved, what good coaching and good training can do when you focus – on that middle class, truly focus and, 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 and commit to, to helping them get better at selling, you can move the, the needle as, as high as 20, 22%. So it's, it, 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 it makes a material difference on your performance.
4: Imagine if sales enablement saw part of their role as first level sales management enablement. You know, the coaching skills, the, the disciplines, the tactics and techniques that would equip them to do that sort of coaching. I mean, that kind of feels to me like it'll move the needle as well.
3: The good organizations that, that I've been associated with are sales enablement people. They have a number of them that came from first line manager are are coming into enablement. So yep. I fully agree. I
2: fully agree. Okay. So thanks a lot, guys. You've made my job of summarizing Bob's statements almost impossible. So I'm going to really <laughs> try. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to do that. So let's just recap how difficult the summation is. Not only did Bob not give us just his opinion, he, he summarized Skip and Steve's. Then you guys had a group conversation, so I'm going to try to get back to what Bob thinks.
3: So what do we need you for?
2: Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, my audience needs uh, to, to, to have that wrapped up and summarized. So that's, that's, it's not, this isn't about you, Skip. This is about everybody else. Um, so at any rate... Um, all kidding aside, everybody knows we're all joking here. I think you can tell by the by the tone. so I think here's what i'm I'm hearing you say, Bob. what I'm hearing you say is that the future of sales enablement is a function that really concentrates on optimizing the system, creating balance uh, by concentrating on you know as I think we've established that that bell shaped curve doing analysis and finding the few things that have the biggest impact at that, at that moment in time.
4: I have long believed that a systems approach, a systems thinking approach is incredibly helpful in this sort of role. Absolutely. So you agree. I'd be foolish not to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: that's funny. All right. So with that, I'm going to turn the, the call over for, uh, for our clarifications part with uh, Dr. Brian Lambert, Mr. Lambert, uh, tell ask our clarifications and summarize each of the sections, please.
1: Yep, yeah, sure, guys. This has been uh, fun to listen to, and uh, I don't know about you, listeners. It, it, there's this is uh, this is definitely chock full of information. So I, I'm not going to add any analysis to this and, and share my opinion. What I'm going to do is really summarize what I've heard, and I'm trying to get it into three. And if you saw my notes right now, you would not be able to decipher them. But I, I, I do believe I have three themes that I'll get Skip and Bob and Steve to weigh in on. I don't need any further clarification, but what strikes me here, and this is where I'd like to to get some thoughts, you guys are all very hardwired in the sales space and you've been sales people sales managers, sales enablement consultants selling selling is in your DNA And what I when I'm looking back at my notes and what I'm feeling like leaving this meeting is I really just witnessed and uh, participated in um, an account review and a sales strategy discussion for for top account so to speak you know it, it started out with theme one where, you know, Scott asked, you know, what was your favorite questions, et cetera. But if you listen, listen to what you guys say, I, I would summarize it as that it really was the account review. You talked in terms of who's winning, who's losing, how do we move the curve? How do we get to our shareholders? How do we do our opportunity planning, focusing on the message? How do we look for outliers? Discovery questions are critical, things like that. And it fundamentally came down to what are you selling? What's your approach? What are you selling? And that, that was really theme one is that enablement needs to do the pre-work, that enablement is, is sales and, and uh, really understanding what you're selling and, and treating your internal um, organization as an account. What you guys just did was for our listeners, you did the account review uh, in the first half of this and you started asking questions that sales enablement leaders, if they're the reps, need to be thinking about. And you ask some tough questions like what are you selling and who are your shareholders and do the pre-existing work, do your research and you know what, build trust. That's what you guys talked about is you've got to build trust and bring insights to your sales leadership team. So how are you going to do that? And if you guys were doing that account review on sales enablement leaders right now, you know, how would they answer that? And that's the coaching that you guys gave in the first part of this um, to me. And so then uh, let me go to give you the second Theme here, but in that spirit or that that vein of you doing the account review on sales and ailment leaders, um, you, you basically your third your second theme was you gotta you gotta do the right things well. In other words, you've got to be focused on what your opportunities are. So if you're in this the vein here of doing an account review, you moved into kind of an opportunity planning discussion. What is the difference between what we're selling strategically versus what we're selling tactically? What's, how do we balance fundamentals and inno- innovation? And, and uh, you know, how do we work towards the outcome? How do you not provide just band-aids um, to, to people that need surgery was one of the examples that Bob gave or you know, Skip, you had talked about what new discussions need to be required in order to position uh, you know, sales enablement being helpful this is this is again back in my sales days what my sales leadership would do with me to say, "Look, you know, are you looking around every corner and are you turning over every rock and I think you did that just naturally because of your sales lenses, but the real litmus test of this is uh, if you have done the work and you have done the research in part one, are you able to go to your customer uh, you know pretend sales leadership's the customer here. And say, I have the plan. Here's my recommendation. I've synthesized what's going on. I see some patterns and here's what we need to do. And having that confidence and having that clarity, as opposed to, hey boss, what do you want me to do? And I think that was what Skip and Steve, you guys were riffing on. So that all comes back to having that confidence, understanding how you're going to pursue opportunities. And then interestingly enough, you know, the pep talk at the end, I've <laughs> been in a lot of, a lot of sales meetings, uh, sales reviews. And, you know, first one, what's your sales strategy or your account strategy. Uh, second one, what, what are you selling and how are you going to do it? Uh, you know, and then the third one is, well, based on everything we've said, uh, the opportunities out there, man, what are you doing? You know, only 16% of leaders have the talent they need. That's an 84% opportunity, says sales manager, Steve, get out there. Look at all this opportunity that's out there. Kind of get your stuff together and put a plan together and and sell it, right? This career tsunami is upon us. It's like nothing we've ever seen, Skip said. You've got to be analytic and productive. You've got to focus on 80-20. This is the sales manager pep talk to sales enablement to me at the end. So I felt like I was in a, back in my, my day in a sales meeting going, what's your account? What are you selling? Let's talk about this. Are you thinking this stuff through? And then, you know, the old you know, slap on the back type of thing or the high five going, look at the opportunity. You, you, can, you can get that new house you wanted if you do this right. <laughs> so that, that's what it felt like to me. And it ended with flattening the curve I like that. Given the time we are on, Skip said that, sales enablement leaders should flatten the curve. And uh, But it's the productivity curve of talent. And then you guys talked about when you do these things right, just like in sales, when you do these things right, and you're able to establish these relationships, you're able to clarify what you're selling, you're able to be positive and, and paint a picture about what's possible, then you can tackle bigger things. And that's where this you know, systems conversation came in. So to me, it felt very much like a sales call. So I, I went ahead and went through all three of them so you guys could see what I was tracking, but I'll.
3: I used to have a plaque on my desk that said, besides revenue, what do you wanna to talk to me about? So I need a sales and leader who's going to be a partner with me to make sure that we have the same outcome and visions and the potholes that they see are different than the potholes I see, rather than be, I'm waiting for instructions from on high to tell me what to do. So I think you said it very, very well.
4: Yeah. And it kind of seems to me if we are aligned around that critical outcome, then where are the obstacles that are stopping us getting there? And how can we, with the sales team, eliminate those obstacles? Um, and I do think that sales enablement should think of themselves as not just facilitating the salespeople, but the sales managers. And I, that's at least as important.
2: Great, thanks. So we're going to wrap up with, uh, we're going to ask each of our participants, uh, what's one thing that they learned uh, from today? So we'll start with you, Skip. What's one thing that you learned?
3: That Bob and Steve are pretty smart people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, I was just constantly
3: nodding my head when they were saying what they were saying. The best enablement people are the ones who are proactive, walk side by side with the sales leaders, act as first line managers, act as coaches, and you know, sees the obstacle, sees the objectives, and the, the obstacles in front, and they come at how to overcome those obstacles potentially in a different way than sales management does. So it, it was a very good discussion on, you know, creating a new second half of the year vision for sales and management.
2: Excellent. Bob, what did you learn well, about Well, I think firstly,
4: it was reassuring that as you, when you set the scene at the start of this, that, you know, we've got such common perspectives on both the, the issue, but also the fact that the issue can be solved with the right focus, with the right discipline, and to pick up a word that was used just a few moments ago, with the with the right clarity, you know there is clear opportunity and hope for sales enablement to emerge from this with a stronger reputation if they do those things well.
2: Wow, that was great, um, Steve.
4: So, so let me
5: echo. Skip's sentiment. I'm from Massachusetts. I went to college in Boston. and lived in Boston for 12 years. We we have an expression as Bostonians. Uh, I would refer to Bob and Skip as Wicked Spot if, if we were if we were in Boston talking about these two. Uh, so I mean, I, what was really refreshing for me and enlightening for me is they brought some perspectives to the table that I thought were extremely interesting. I think there was definitely a lot of commonality in the way that we view the world and the respective lenses that we're bringing to the table. And I was just comforted, like like Bob just mentioned, and reassured that you know there there are some really smart people out there that are seeing the problems. Not that they have to see it the same way that I am, but but also seeing you know offering up solutions to this opportunity, not not just kind of struggling and 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 feeling paralyzed like the deer in the headlights in terms of well, what do we do. There is a clear strategy and path to success for sales enablement leaders. It was just great hearing from from Bob and Skip, kind of their experiences and their thoughts. It just
3: it was, it was
2: very reaffirming for me. Excellent. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. So Insider Nation, I think we got the, uh, we got the theme here is uh, at least we're smart enough on this show to bring wicked smart people together. Uh, and uh, please uh, please stay tuned and watch, for, watch out for more panelists. So we, this is our second, uh, second panelist review um, moving up towards our webinar where we're going to present the findings. Please, if you haven't done so already, go to www.insidese.com and register. Register for that webinar. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to try to put these, uh, this information into slides that you can share. Uh, having conversations about things. One thing, putting slides in front of CEOs is something completely different. How do we take the insights that are shared by a lot of different people and put them into a structured format that you can show on a slide? To be able to have a conversation, to get permission to do these things, that's that's a topic altogether. So with that, I thank you so much, Skip, Bob, and Steve. You guys were a fantastic panel. This was very exciting to me. And uh, Insider Nation, please stay tuned and uh, download more podcasts and stay tuned. If you get a chance, if you're in either, if you're in the Bay Area or out, out there in the UK, please look up either Skip, Bob, or Steve to look for help. Maybe uh, it sounds like a a lot of them can really help you with uh, developing a sales coaching program and moving the middle. Please reach out and uh, take advantage of their resources. Thank you very much. And with that, we're a wrap.
0: Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.